Um, just want to take a minute <clears throat> and position you all for uh, prior to Luke speaking. You know, it, it's, it is the grace of God that he does organize his church with leaders. I mean, God has appointed men to watch over your souls. I, I don't want to take this lightly, that, that God has appointed men to watch over your souls. That In First Peter, we read about how you are entrusted into the care of elders, um, that, that they are to live in a way that you can imitate their faith. So God has crafted the church to be made up in such a way that God on this earth has planted men so that they will prepare you to see Christ. It is not left to your own. You're not just having to slug it out. There are men that are dedicated to the furtherance of your souls. That, I think, is just a work of God's grace, and we ought to be thankful for it. Um, Secondly, I think, before Luke speaks, I want to mention this idea of the grace of God in this church. I'm thinking about the last three pastors have come from this body. That's a church producing fruit. The plant that we're going to be doing in Rollsville, from the body, we're not importing things in. It is growing up from within the body and coming up. That's the way it's supposed to be. And and I'd like you to rejoice with me over that, that that's the work of God's grace in a healthy body, producing leaders and producing plants. Now, we've been, uh, the elders um, selected Luke to be the family pastor, but we wanted to bring it before you, the body for these 30 days of prayer and consideration, investigation that you have the chance to come forward and express both encouragement or concerns. Both you could come to Luke and ask questions of theology and practice. And uh, really, that's what today's about as well. Just one more opportunity for you to hear from Luke, both the work of God's grace in his life, but also his perception of God's call on his life to serve us. So um, this is an exciting day. Not just to see him in a tie. That is always, that's always a pleasure. In fact, I think that's my tie, isn't it? It may yeah. be. It may be. And, uh, but this is an exciting day. Luke's been with us for a lot of years. And uh, we have seen his family grow in Christ and uh, feel very, very thankful. Luke has a, a mixture of gifts. I think he's a very strong teacher, uh, preacher. But he is also very, very um, approachable, humorous, um, the one, thing I, uh, the, the one thing that I love about Luke is he can hit various levels very comfortably, um, both with kids, with students, with adults, that he seems to migrate from one to the other with great ease. And so I'm excited to see how the Lord's going to use that in your life and in the ministry of this church, brother. So can I pray for you? Would you join with me? Father, thank you for the grace that you've given to us in this dear brother. You've called him from darkness into light. And now you've called him to a place of service for these people, watching over, caring for their souls. Father, would you, <clears throat> would you grant him grace that he might sense your pleasure as he speaks? Father, that, that he would preach out of the overflow of joy in his own soul over what you have done in his life and how you've called him to serve us. Father, we want to serve him by listening and by praying for him by encouraging him. We're so thankful that you brought him into our lives, and we just pray that you would use him now as he testifies to your grace in his life, as he explains his, his philosophy of how to minister and how to serve. Father, let it be just 
like a glass of cold water to a very, very dry and parched throat to us. So, Father, use him now for the glory of your name and for the benefit of this church. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Tom. No, we've been uh, speaking about joy for the last three or four weeks here in this church, a lot of joy uh, in talking about that the last month. And this truly is a joy for me to be able to share with you this morning just God's kindness to me in my life um, and how he has graciously guided our path to this point. I really believe that. Uh, I will say, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, give it one more week, uh, please. Um, Typically, you're going to hear a sermon from a passage of Scripture from our senior pastor, uh, so don't let today uh, scare you away. We will not be looking uh, in detail at 1 Peter 5, although that's a great passage, and hopefully you've been looking at that this week. Uh, But what I want to do this morning in the minutes that we have, uh, per my assignment, is really just to give a a brief personal background, um, just highlighting several points of how God has been at work in my life where I've seen his grace operative, especially over the last uh, nine or ten years. Um, And then I will use the rest of the time to speak to um, just several guiding principles um, and really points of prayer for myself and for you as I would seek to minister here uh, at Christ's covenant in the days ahead. To begin, just a word of my upbringing. Um, God was kind to place me into a home with believing parents um, who loved the Lord, who loved me. Um, my mom and dad both, just several months before I was born, were brought to Christ. And so I see that as his, as his sweet providence, uh, both coming from godless, um, really non-churched backgrounds, and to see Christ draw them to him, I'm very thankful for. Just grateful for their loving influence um, and for seeking to raise their children with God in view. Um, obviously not perfectly by any means, uh, but just grateful for that. Um, to see. From an early age and through the influence of my parents, uh, from the influence of a, of a Christian school, of Christian friends, I was urged uh, to pray the sinner's prayer, if you're familiar with that terminology. And so as a six or seven-year-old kid, I, I did pray that prayer. And then uh, probably seven to eight hundred times after that, I prayed the prayer. Um, I think probably 650 of those times occurring during my senior year of high school. But just really hoping that one of them would hit the bullseye um, and that I'd be good to go. Maybe you have a similar um, story. But for me, salvation was about getting out of the alternative that I had heard about. And so I was more than happy to check the box that, yeah, I'm a sinner. I wasn't going to argue that. I checked the box that, that Jesus is alive. He's the Son of God. I believe that. And so I asked him to come into my heart. And, and that was the extent of salvation. Salvation for me... Um, was about getting out of something, getting out of hell. Um, And I I know in some of those things I mentioned, the gospel might be hovering there and and even present uh, to some degree, but but as I see it now, there was no spirit-generated conviction, um, no spirit-generated realization of of what I needed. Of, of my sin and before a holy, infinitely holy God. I didn't understand my plight before him. Um, and so there was, there was really no concern or even thought to being under God's just wrath or his condemnation. And so there could not be an appreciation for what Jesus had done. Um, and so that, that was kind of my upbringing as far as, as the gospel. I was more concerned with not being uncomfortable when I died. 
and since I believed portions of the scriptures, I called on him often to keep me out of hell. That would be a smart thing to do. Um, and really just trusting in my words, in my prayers, not the work of Christ, um, trusting in my attempts, even, even through high school at being Christian, trying to keep a, a set of rules, trying to be a good and moral kid, hoping to somehow uh, gain God's favor. And that's really all I thought about Christianity or the gospel, um, really not uh, an understanding of who I was. It wasn't until years later, um, in fact, probably in my mid to late 20s, that God began to draw me. I remember this very distinctly, showing me that, that without Christ, without his work, I was hopeless. And then to, to start to realize that, that Christ, that Jesus had accomplished everything for me. It was on my behalf that he took my guilt and my shame and even my attempts at being Christian. started to see the, the reality of, of, of Christ and him providing me with his righteousness. That was something that I had never understood, and, and, and God worked in my heart to show me that. My spiritual senses, uh, in a lot of ways, were awakened to, to this good news and why it was so good uh, to see the glory of Jesus. And so I, I did and, and am today placing my faith, my confidence, my trust in the finished work of Christ alone, and that's only because of his work in my life. And I, I want to give praise to God before you this morning of, of what he has done uh, for me, as I know you would offer the same word. So I give him praise to that. That's just a, a snapshot of my conversion. Really quickly, my, uh, God has blessed me with a wife, Kayla, who many of you know, um, four children, Blake, Brooke, Bradley, and Bree, all of whom have promised to be on their best behavior for the next 28 to 29 minutes. So <laughs> thanks, guys. So I need to hurry. Um, Apart from my salvation in Christ, I, I want to highlight several um, just additional areas of God's grace, of his working in my life uh, to where he has brought us now. Uh, I hope that it will encourage you. I hope that it will, will be directed towards the Father and his goodness um, and his grace. It was in um, 2000, the year 2000, that Kayla and I left the town that we had both grown up in, Watertown, Wisconsin. We moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we had lived for the next five years. So from 2000 to 2005, for four of those years, I uh, was in seminary. For all five of those years, we attended a church uh, called Eden Baptist Church in Savage, Minnesota. Many of us know Stephen Christie Purdue. Steve's brother, Paul, serves there as an elder. He's my best friend. Um, and, and I just want to speak to how this church of, of just 200 people, how God used it to really awaken my heart to, to the glory of God, to thinking about a, a God focus. In a church, and I'm so grateful how that was the driving focus, something that I hadn't been around or seen before. This church, in a lot of ways, was just maybe one step outside of the box from what we had grown up with. For one, they used the NIV, which for us, coming from the background, that was that was almost taboo to even mention that. They used the NIV. They also were led by elders. It was an elder-led church. I had grown up with solely as a, a single pastor-led church with a board of deacons. And, and even in using the terminology elders was very much shied away from. And so this church was led by a group of godly elders. And then, just to show you how crazy this place was, they actually projected the words of the music up onto the wall and, and used a screen instead of just hymnals. And so, uh, very progressive. Um, <laughs> within, within the first uh, maybe month or six weeks of being there, 
the senior teaching pastor, uh, began a series of maybe 8 to 12 weeks. It was a lengthy series on the providence and the sovereignty of God. And this really just blew my mind away in so many ways. God began to change my thinking, things that I had never thought through. I mean, I was a Christian, so of course I, b- I believed in the sovereignty of God. Who, who doesn't if you're a Christian? But that Almighty God was in absolute and active control of everything, including calamity, including heartache and suffering, including my, my next movement and my very breath, that this came from God, including those who were to come to Christ, this, this blew my mind in so many ways. Had not heard this. What a bedrock doctrine this was. And I praise God for how he used that series of eight weeks to just start to shape and, and to mold my thinking and really rattle my, my brain in a lot of ways. This really elevated for me a, a very limited and shallow view of God. It began to elevate my thinking. It was huge for me in my, in my walk with him. And I'm so grateful for that. In addition to my view of God at that time, uh, here was a church where people actually wanted to be together. They came to church. I I had gone to church every day of my life, three times a week, and really it was all about being there, putting in my time, and and getting out of there as quickly as I could. These people actually longed to be with one another. This, This blew my mind in a lot of ways. I would see people pouring into each other, serving each other, wanting to, to love and, and be in communion and actually pour into my family. This was a, a it was good for my soul as elders were, were digging into my life, asking me questions about my walk. This was very odd, very odd for me. But it was God's kindness as he began to open my eyes to the body of Christ and to what this body is to be. I began to see that and I'm so grateful for that. Those five years really had a tremendous impact on my life spiritually. I and mean, I remember thinking as I was in seminary there, wow, wouldn't it be great to be on staff at a church like this? I never dreamed that it would happen, never thought that it would be possible, but I, but I remember how, thinking how amazing that would be if God were to be that kind to me. So God really used that church, uh, the people there, the teaching of the elders to expand my view of God, the local church, um, and I'm thankful for that grace in my life. Just as, a, as an aside, it was also at that point, even though I'd grown up three and a half hours from Minneapolis, I'd never heard of John Piper. I'd never heard of his teaching. And, and so while we were up there, I was able to uh, probably once a month on a Friday night and a Saturday go and listen to him teach. Um, and that was really, again, with the church and then with, with him first being exposed to Reformed theology and, and just God's greatness in, in, in seeking out souls. And so I'm thankful for that. Probably the most difficult decision that we ever made was leaving Eden Baptist Church and coming to North Carolina in 2005. Um, I had finished seminary and and accepted a call as a college pastor here in the area. Talk about a a waffling on a decision. Back and forth. One day we were going, the next day we weren't. I I had no idea. Just confused. God, are you leading in this? But in 2005, we, we took the plunge, moved here to Raleigh, where I served as a college pastor for three years. Um, I think leaving what we had experienced in Minnesota, was it made our transition to a new, um, larger church very difficult for us. I think it was just within the first couple of months of being there that I realized um, that I really desired something different for my family and, and, and a place to raise my family um, in a different church 
environment. We, we really desired the fellowship that we had enjoyed uh, so much and how God had used that. And so in 2008, um, not really knowing what I was going to be doing, I had no idea, but, but resigned there. Interestingly enough, right at that same time, um, the senior pastor at, at Eden Baptist Church on behalf of the elders contacted me and, and asked us to come back and to serve as an assistant pastor there in Minnesota. A lot of details that I'll spare you um, this morning, but you'd think we would have just been overjoyed at that prospect. Um, the people that we love, the church that we love, um, that much closer to Wisconsin Badger football. I mean, it, it just seemed like this, this had to be God's will, especially now I'm without a job, four kids, uh, a wife, the economy was, was tanking at that point. If you remember, all things were screaming, yes, of course, God is putting this in your lap. This is his will. And yet, for some known reasons at the time, but for many unknown reasons, looking back, uh, we just did not believe that God was directing in this. Um, Kayla and I, it was interesting. I remember the conversations. We came to that conclusion at the same time, even, even though we had both kind of been silent, thinking, yeah, of course, let, let's let our hearts just catch up to this um, and, and to go back. Uh, but I knew that without the confidence that God was leading in this, we, we would be hurting that church. It'd be hurting us. Um, in, in so many ways, we thought that this had to be from him. We're hoping that we would uh, soon be excited. Some of the known reasons, some of which just included my own over time weakened pursuit of Christ, um, over time just failing in, in lacking to lead my family to know and to love God. And these were um, really leading me to serious doubts about even my own calling for ministry, um, my own fittedness, my own qualification, just serious doubts. And I knew that we'd be backing into a situation, really in a lot of ways uh, furthering uh, just a mask um, of what I had grown up thinking, yeah, you have to be in ministry. Um, and so this was a very difficult time for us, uh, feeling like in a lot of ways we were letting people down that we had loved um, as for months, it seemed like we'd be moving back there and yet made the decision to stay put, took our ho- house off the market and just began looking for a job here in Raleigh. Um, but I think most importantly, we wanted to find a local body where we could walk out life with. That was our prayer. That was our desire. We also began to pray early on that if God ever in the future desired for me to be in a, a full-time ministry capacity, um, that it would happen naturally or organically w- within a body that we would join together with. Um, and so we made the decision to not look for ministry at all, really not to even consider it, to put it out of our mind in a lot of ways, and just to begin working here um, and join together uh, with a church where we could serve um, and, and be able to just live life together. So through a lot of circumstances, God in 2008 directed us here to Christ Covenant Church, um, which was a sweet, sweet haven for us. A lot of details there. I could talk for an hour of just how Christ and how God has used and what he's done in our lives through this church. Um, Through every week, hearing Jesus exalted, hearing the gospel lifted up, walking out from here thinking of Christ and what he has done for us, just timely input from the elders speaking into our lives. Think of relationships that have, that have formed here 
um, has just been God's mercy. Think of Tom for the last three years pouring into me and, and walking me through a lot of difficult questions in my mind related to ministry and calling and fitness and, and being helped to look to Christ and to the gospel, not only for my salvation, but also with any, any ability to be able to serve and to minister and to be fitted for ministry is straight from, from Christ and the gospel. God used that in my life. And so this church represents just God's sweetness to us. I want to, again, just give him public honor and praise for how he has led us here. So, so think in light of those things, to be considering this opportunity that God has brought about to serve more fully here at Christ's Covenant Church, the church that we've grown to love, the church that God has used uh, as you have embraced us, um, to think that we get to serve alongside you and with you is, is overwhelming and humbling. Um, and again, all praise belongs to him. Quickly, one more point of grace. Um, and in my mind, perhaps the sweetest point of grace for me personally, it was three years ago, um, we were considering um, going back to this pastoral position, considering going back into this church work. Um, and, and all the while, we would have gone back with Kayla being an unbeliever, not knowing Christ. Um, can you imagine the pressure that she would have felt in being a pastor's wife there in a church? Um, just the temptation to keep that, that mask off and not feeling the freedom as she has here to, to, for God to be working in her life um, in every way pretending to be somebody that she was not. And so in God's kindness, in his sovereignty, um, God's spirit began to work in her heart about three years ago. I love to hear her tell the story of how God just began to open her eyes. In fact, I'd love to have her come up here right now to share that story, but I'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember distinctly on several different occasions, thinking back, and we, we talk about this, but but Kayla just weeping at our table as we would read and, and, and talk about the gospel and, and mainly with our children. So I'd be talking to them about the gospel and his grace and her later, later saying, how come I don't know this? How come I haven't seen this before? In many ways, I found this odd, but God was beginning to open her eyes, to open her heart through the Spirit of God. And then, then we started to attend here and, and, and Tom preaching the gospel and hearing the gospel week in and week out. She would hear people here talk about Christ and what he has done in their life. She was starting to feel, to know, really to feel her own sin and her guilt and her shame as Christ began to reveal who she was as a sinner desperately in need of him. And to see for the first time just how glorious Christ was to take all of her sin, to take all of her guilt, all of her shame. Even though she had heard this story from the time she was a child, I give praise to God. I think of that passage. In fact, just, just glance at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I saw this firsthand. You know this passage well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to just read verse 3. I'll actually read down through verse 6. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I saw this happen. I saw that happen. As her eyes were, were, were veiled, she didn't understand Christ. And so I'm so grateful for how um, God worked in her life and brought her to a saving knowledge in Christ and to just see her grow in her love for him over the last three years. This is his grace, and I'm grateful. It, it was just a month ago, I was back in Minnesota at the Desiring God uh, conference for pastors that I was able to attend with my dad. Um, and I was talking with one of the elders there from the church that we had been at, Eden Baptist, and just talking with him about how God had been at work in our lives over the last three years. And, and again, expressing back three years ago, just having no idea why we wouldn't have gone back there. Just being so puzzled um, and was able to tell him, though, a, a month ago that now, without a doubt, seeing God's hand just all over that decision. And his grace just, just drenched over that in, in saving us from that and in saving, in saving the church. Um, it made no sense then. But in more ways than you will know, this now makes perfect sense. I'm so grateful for how God has been at work in our lives, especially these last three years, just stirring an affection for him, slowly um, strengthening our marriage, slowly strengthening our love for the body, for the gospel, for Christ. He's been at work uh, in our lives, and, and I'm so grateful. Still desperately sinful, desperately failures apart from his work of grace, but he's been preparing us, I believe, uh, for this time. Glory to him. Uh, we didn't see this coming, uh, and this is his rich, rich mercy um, to us. I want to take a few minutes to highlight uh, very briefly just a few ministry guide, guideposts that will direct us, I believe, um, and direct our desires here for ministry. Not a lot of detail here. I know we'll speak to more of that tonight. Um, but really guideposts that already do direct the church here. I know I've shared uh, parts of these with several groups and we've had private conversations with some of you as well. I think part of the beauty in this situation for me is that in, in a lot of ways, we are known quantities to each other. Um, I know to varying degrees and, and, and varying levels for sure, but much of what drew us to Christ's covenant church, much of what drew us here are the same things that drew you here to this church. I think that's a, a, a blessing. The fact that there is a high view of God's sovereignty in this church that there's an intentional focus on his glory, that his glory is paramount and ultimate. That's, that's what we think about. That's what we, we, we drink here. It's the glory of God. Those will continue to be driving points and, and, and background in my mind as, as I would seek to serve here. I think another guidepost that we see here is that, that this is God's church. We're reminded of that. Think of Acts 20. This is the church that he has purchased with his blood. 
it's, it's not going to be up to me or it's not up to us to, to manipulate or to think through exactly how we govern or, or to govern it how we want to. God has given us his word to guide his people. God has given us his truth to guide his church. And so, has, as has been strongly the case here, his word by his grace will continue to be revered as it is taught, studied, as, it, as it's used to counsel students, as it's used to counsel families and parents. I know that comes as no surprise. It shouldn't. But th- the fact that we have no wisdom apart from the Spirit of God, no wisdom apart from his word. And so in fervent, committed prayer, we will go to his word. I will seek to go to his word to, to counsel and to minister um, here. It will continue to be the pillar and ground of the truth, as we are told, um, the foundation that all is, that is attempted and accomplished uh, for his name. I think in, in light of just those foundational stones, uh, I want to direct your attention uh, just for a couple of minutes as we wrap up here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you could turn there to 1 Thessalonians 2. I want to really highlight um, two points of prayer. There's so much in this uh, chapter. Um, this will be just a, a, really a, a guiding prayer for ministry, a model to aspire to. Two points of prayer, prayers that I'll be praying for myself and, and points that I would love for you to pray. Look at first, verse 3 this portrait of ministry. For our appeal, Paul says, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The first prayer point is that I would fear God above all else. The fear of failure, the fear of man, will be a constant battle, as it is for many of us. But here Paul reminds the Thessalonians that he was not speaking or ministering the gospel to gain man's applause, to gain their flattery, he says. But he was seeking to please God, realizing that he had been entrusted with this message. He'd been entrusted by God. This had been passed down to him. It wasn't for him to to make up or to to depart from. That's why he sought to please God with his message. He he reminds them that he's already been approved by God. And so in verse 6, he says, I don't seek glory from others, but I seek to please God, who in verse 4 tests the hearts. God knows who we are seeking to please doesn't come as a surprise to him. So by God's grace, may I as a prayer be driven by the fear of God, by pleasing him and not man. A second point of prayer, I, I love and am challenged by this portrait of ministry that, that he gives to us. The second point of prayer is that my heart would grow in deep affection for this church. And mainly so you 
would walk in a manner worthy of God, as he says in verse 12. Notice his heartbeat. That they would walk in a manner worthy of God and that my joy would come from your increased love for the Savior. Look at verse 7. We won't spend a lot of time here, but just allow these words in this text to minister to your soul. Paul says, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves or our own souls because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What affectionate language Paul uses here. The picture of, of the gentleness of a nursing mother and a loving father. This is a divine love here that drives Paul to sacrifice and to labor and to exhort and encourage and to share, proclaim the gospel. And he says not just sharing the gospel, but also to share his own soul. There's a deep and genuine affection and joy for these people that, that cannot be manufactured. So as this is a spiritual creation, it is my prayer that the Spirit of God would produce this type of bond and love, uh, a sacrificial living as I seek or as I would seek to serve you and as we serve Christ together. My time is up. I I do look forward with eager anticipation to how God will continue to change us, to change his people here at Christ's covenant. And may he grant us wisdom. May he grant us guidance and overwhelming joy as we look for his return. Will you pray with me? Father, we do give you praise for the mercy that you have shown Give you praise for the grace, Lord, that we see in this uh, body, Lord, how you've drawn each one to yourself. Lord, we pause to give you thanks. God, would you give wisdom? Would you give your direction? Lord, may we look to you. You are all that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.